Kara Barbrick with Space Foundation, and you're listening to the Space for You podcast. Space for You is designed to tell the stories of the people who make space exploration today more accessible to all. Today, we are joined by Sam Mastovich. Sam is the general manager of Keystone Compliance. He has been with the company for over 10 years following a career in commercial banking. Sam was introduced to Keystone Compliance while working as a commercial lender and actually recommended the owners not locate their new company in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Despite that less than stellar advice, the owners moved forward in Newcastle and hired Sam as an employee a couple years later. What started as a three-person, one-location EMC test lab is now a 40-person, four-location EMC mechanical wireless package and product safety test lab. Their EMC shielding, effectiveness, climatics, altitude, shock, vibration, and solar radiation capabilities make them a perfect partner for aerospace companies. Keystone opened a new lab in Durham, North Carolina market in 2020 and is looking to continue to expand its geographical footprint. Welcome, Sam. Thank you very much, Kara. I'm excited to chat with you today and introduce Keystone Compliance to our audience. So I'd like to start with just a little bit about yourself and kind of what your background is and what led you to to Keystone. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, As you mentioned, I had been uh, a commercial banker and, and in that industry for about 15 years. And in 2009, during the, the financial crisis, lending money was easy. Uh, getting it back was a little difficult, and, and it uh, it reached the point where I thought, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm ready for a career change. And uh, as you mentioned, I had been the lender of uh, four Keystone Compliance. I, I got to know the owners really well. And they were looking to grow their business. And, and uh, you know, I, I started doing some, some side work, and the, the side work continued to increase and and uh you know the the engineering world has always been a draw to me and especially space my my mother grew up in western ohio and and uh just outside of dayton so getting to see you know wright patterson air force base and and touring the museum uh my grandfather was always glued to the tv with uh, any any of the space launches so it was something that has always been of of high interest to me and you know, the opportunity with Keystone to continue to grow with the organization, uh, um, it, it's just been a it's been a perfect fit, and uh, you know, I'm very excited about you know what we've been able to accomplish, but also what we have coming up in the future as well. Well, it's pretty exciting to have such a lovely opportunity open up right when you're you're ready to start a new chapter. I was very fortunate. Yes, it um, it's the uh, the stars aligned for sure, and it's been it's been a it's been refreshing because in in the banking world, you know, I, I work for significantly larger companies, and and having the opportunity to work with a small business, a small family-owned business, where there is no question the impact that that you have yeah. it is is tangible. Uh, it's just refreshing. It's rewarding. You know, it's it's been a just a, a great experience. Yeah, and you have had a pretty exciting journey. If you started when they were really small, to be expanding to multiple locations, and 
yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a transition from, from three people to, uh, you know, our, our 39th starts on Monday. We now have four buildings and, uh, it, it's been a, it's been a learning experience, but the, the key to it is having a, a great team and, and we really have a tremendous team of employees and, and that, you know, that makes it where it's, it's not work. Um, it, you know, we, we all team up together and, and, um, we get the job done, but we also do it in an enjoyable fashion and, and take good care of our, our customers. And, and that's really been the, the key to our success. That's wonderful. I love it. Well, I, I do have to admit, I might be a little naive about exactly what you do. So, you know, in my intro, I said, you guys are a EMC test lab. What does EMC stand for? Sure. Good question. EMC stands for electromagnetic compatibility. That definition probably doesn't help explain it any more than what, you know, <laughs> than what it says. Uh, so to, to drill down a little bit, basically, most electronic devices emit some form of electromagnetic energy. This energy can either be through the air, which is called radiated, or it can be through a, a cable, um, and that's called conducted. Most of the time, that energy is inconsequential. However, when it's not, that's what's actually called EMI, which is electromagnetic interference. And a good example of EMI in everyday life is if um, you remember back to analog TVs, uh, when you had the TV on and you ran the vacuum cleaner, the static (laughs) that would show up on the TV, that is electromagnetic interference. Basically, what EMC testing is, is determining the, the compatibility of a device is it emitting things that it should not? Uh, when I say things, electronic signals, uh, uh, radio frequencies, you know, is it emitting something that might impact another device? Or is it susceptible to being interrupted by a device that's emitting signals? So that's really the, um, the basic uh, premise behind what EMC is. Oh, it sounds like you, your vacuum example that, you know, that's just annoying. But when you're talking more expensive or more extensive equipment, that, that interference could be fairly detrimental, I would think. Yeah, it can. Uh, and, and really, the, the definition of what's acceptable is it, it varies from product to product. You could have a, a children's toy that... Um, when someone cues a walkie-talkie near it, there might be a blip on a screen. Well, that it might be annoying, but it, it doesn't really impact the operation of the toy. You do not want that to happen on a, on a medical device or a, a piece of uh, mission-critical equipment. So the, the definition of what's acceptable and not acceptable really comes down to what is the application of that, of that device. Definitely. So then you test... Anywhere from toys to these space mission critical devices? Yeah, absolutely. Everything that has electronics uh, has to be tested. So it could be toys, it could be consumer electronics, aerospace parts, anything that, uh, that has electronics in it, uh, we are going to see in our lab. Wow. I never even think about that when I'm sitting there at the store looking at some of those things, thinking the the process of getting it tested. 
You're right. It's funny because that's why I, I say that what we do is what every consumer takes for granted. Uh, you know, <laughs> we go to Target or Walmart or get on Amazon, we order something, bring it home, plug it in, and it doesn't kill us. So, you know, that's that's basically what, what we as consumers just take for granted that there's a, a lot of um, a lot of science and a lot of testing that that goes behind the product before it gets in our hands. Most definitely. So then you do more tests than just that EMC test. So can you describe a little about the other tests you guys perform? Sure, absolutely. We uh, we also do what's called um, mechanical testing, which another another term for that is environmental testing. And, and that basically is simulating anything that could happen to a product while it is either in operation or in transit. So any anything that could physically happen, such as altitude, temperature, humidity, vibration, uh, solar radiation, and then uh, wind, uh, rain, ice, fungus, anything that could physically happen to that product, we're, we are able to simulate that in our lab to then uh, verify how the product does under those conditions. Wow. I mean, that sounds like it would take some fairly massive facilities and equipment. What are those like? It, yeah, it can. Uh, so some of the temperature chambers are, are uh, you know, as, as large as um, garage stalls, uh, and, and they can be as small as a, just a refrigerator. Shakers can be big. They they basically uh, provide the vibration testing, and then the uh, the rest of the equipment uh, really it varies in size. You know, from from small tabletop units to um, you know units that would uh, that would that would be maybe uh, fit into a, a pretty pretty sizable closet. Um, so it's our lab. You know, right now I think we're we're up to about fifty thousand square feet of of uh, of usable lab space across our, our, our buildings. And, and we're one, one constant, no matter how much space we had, we're always out of space. So, uh, <laughs> yes. uh, which is a, a good problem to have, but, um, yeah, the, uh, the equipment definitely, um, is, uh, it can be sizable and, and can also, uh, the, the, the cost of, uh, of acquiring and, and, and operating can be sizable as well. So then, what kind of employees actually do the testing? I mean, are you looking at scientists? Are you looking at engineers? I mean, mm-hmm. so we're we're looking at uh, primarily engineers on the on the EMC side. We're looking at electrical engineers uh, and and technicians. It's a it's a, a unique opportunity to apply electrical theory, but also work with your hands because you're mm-hmm. working directly with the customer's device. Uh, and our test equipment each day, so it's a it's a it's a nice mix of both. And then on the environmental side, we're looking primarily for mechanical engineers. Uh, and and again, it's a it's a mixture of of theory and 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 hands on. Uh, and and the hands on on the mechanical side is you know can be can be a uh, challenging because there are there are certain tests. It require a, a, a real unique setup. Uh, we we tested a uh, an airplane seat just a couple months ago, and basically our customer wanted us to replicate 25,000 cycles of every movement that this seat could could experience. Uh, 
So armrest up and down, uh, the, the headrest part up and down, the recline and, and, and returning the seat back to the upright position. So being able to engineer the equipment uh, that will allow us to perform that testing is uh, uh, can be challenging, but it's something that our, our team really does a great job with. That's fascinating. You'd, again, that's not something you think about an engineer being able to do, design test equipment. I love it. Mm-hmm. So then, of course, we're the Space Foundation. So tell me, how do all of your tests connect to the space or aerospace industry? Yeah, so actually space travel has, has driven uh, a lot of the, the testing requirements. Um, when you look at extreme conditions, there, there's really nothing more extreme than, than what is experienced in space. You know, during, during launch, you have a tremendous amount of vibration, you have um, shock pulses, especially when there's a separation from from one stage to another. You also have some dramatic temperature changes too. And then once in space, you you've got the the temperature extremes. You have uh, solar radiation. You have freeze thaw challenges. There are a, a a lot of just unique environmental conditions that a a product in space must be able to adapt to without impacting the operations. And just like uh, we see all the time, what is learned in the space program is then disseminated to the commercial market. And we see that in the testing world as well, where standards that were written for space travel are are then helped to write standards for the, uh, the commercial industry. So I know you can't tell us about individual clients, but is is there something you can tell us about some of the testing programs that you you put together for these companies? Yeah, um, so we we actually uh, just did a, a, a t- completed a test program for a um, a company that uh, had components on a on a satellite and. It was a uh, the test program was a combination of uh, EMC testing, so we we had to do a, a full suite of the the EMC test, and then we also did a uh, a, a suite of um, the environmental testing. So it was a a test program with uh, some vibration testing, some some shock testing, uh, and then temperature, uh, what's called thermal shock, which is basically going from one extreme temperature to another extreme temperature in the matter of, in our case, it was four seconds. We were going between, I believe it was negative 80 C and positive 140 C for this particular test program. Uh, and that transition, the the duration of the testing was eight hours and it was uh, a constant transition from one to the other. Wow. And then we also did some temperature extreme testing as well, where uh, it, it was a, a, a high temp bake and then a low temp bake as well for a period of hours at a time. So yeah, it's, um, it, it's a, uh, it can be an extreme test on the, uh, on the, uh, the customer's device, those temperature extremes. And, and, uh, and also too, I, I just forgot, we, we did solar radiation testing on it. 
the intensity of the heat, the intensity of that of that the the uh, the solar radiation, the changes in temperature, that really impacts the uh, the gasketing. It impacts the mm-hmm. uh, the connections. You know, we do a, a fair amount of enclosure testing where we are making sure that that enclosure is doing the job it needs to do to protect the uh, the equipment that's inside of it. So, you know, that's a an example of a of a product that um, you know didn't have the full complete suite that we 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 necessarily always see, but it was a uh, pretty comprehensive and and uh fortunately it it did uh it did well and and um you know it's something that we will be seeing uh seeing launched probably next year from what the customer said and you said that was one component that was on a satellite did i understand that correctly? it will be yes yes yeah yeah that just kind of blows my mind that the, it's that's one component so then you know, if you're building a full satellite, it's no wonder it takes so long and it's so complicated to get to space. Yes, yeah, really. Every every um, every component that would go in the system must be tested, and then the entire system is going to to undergo tests as well. So you said this one did fairly well. What happens when it doesn't go well? <laughs> that's a good question. So, on the on the mechanical side, and that's that's something that our team does a just a phenomenal job with. Is we when things don't go well and the requirements are not met, that's when we work with our customers to identify what's the cause of the problem, and then how do we how do we alleviate that that problem? How do we how do we find a resolution? On the EMC side, I. I I joke that we buy more aluminum foil than all of the restaurants around us because <laughs> aluminum foil is is cheap and it's it does a great job of of shielding so that when we know that there's a component of a system that is not meeting the requirements if we, if we know the system is is having difficulty we need to then identify well what is the cause of the of that problem so we will go through and we will shield different parts of the of the device with the aluminum foil until we identify where is that that interference radiating from or what's you know what is causing the the problem and that's that's where our group you know is able to identify this is the source of the problem now here are some ways to to resolve this issue on the mechanical side you know a lot of times it's a it it requires a design change or uh, changing how uh, something is is positioned in the unit or making some changes to the um, to the uh, enclosure itself, but that's that's something that uh, every every unit is different. Um, uh, you you learn you know some some commonalities, some common problems that that happen, such as having a power supply next to a transmitter, or not having a, a good gasketing around uh, around cables. But um, but yeah, every every uh, every unit. That uh, that doesn't necessarily meet the requirements. There, there's something unique about it, and and we do our best to to find it and and uh, and, and resolve it. And to me, that sounds like you're going above and beyond for the customer to really not just say it didn't work, but delving really deep into the the concerns. Right. Well, it's it's important to us. I mean, that that's what helps build a relationship with the customers. And you know, I I think 
too it's it there's a little bit of selfishness in it because this is where our team takes pride in finding a solution so it's a it's a personal challenge it's not just uh not always just about helping the customer even though we're always helping the customer there's also that extra motivation of we're going to fix this this is now a a a personal challenge and we're going to find the solution no mystery unsolved in your test labs right Perfect. So you you mentioned there kind of some common uh, mistakes you see manufacturers make. Are there any that you see consistently across the board, you know, besides the the putting two things too close together? Yeah, you know, one one probably over overarching mistake that we see is uh, the manufacturer who does not think about the testing until after the product is developed it that can that creates a problem because uh if you have something that needs to be moved or a a a a gasket needs added or a filter that needs added it might change the aesthetics of the of the product and it's it it's hard to necessarily do that once the product is is made because uh a lot of times the the engineers the design engineers love you know what they've designed they hate the idea of having to change it <laughs> whereas if this is developed you know if this is addressed early on in the development process a it's going to be cheaper it's a lot okay. easier to move something on paper than it is you know in 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 production and b it's a way of of really expediting the the test process once testing starts <clears throat> so we encourage our customers to spend some time in the lab with a prototype run some some R&D scans, see how it's doing. You know, let's look at the schematics of of what's placed where. Um let's talk about the the um the positioning. Uh let's talk about what what materials are being used. Uh another another mistake that we see is if you have a a product that let's say that it needs to meet uh mill standard 461, which is a a common EMC test standard and you're looking to buy a component power supply, buy a power supply that has already been tested and compliant to mill standard 461. It's, it, it doesn't guarantee that your product will meet the requirement, but it certainly gets you a lot further along the way to being compliant. So if, if, you, have, if you have a device that has five components and all five of them are mill standard 461 compliant you still might position them in such a way that there's there's an issue or the enclosure might not be sufficient so it doesn't guarantee that you will meet the that that product will meet the requirement but it it does guarantee that not one of those individual components on the on their own is going to cause a failure so that's something that we we really encourage uh, our clients to do when they're way, when they are picking components, it's important to pick the right component. You know, you might save a little bit on a power supply, but it can end up costing you in the long run and 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 um, mm-hmm. and be a, a whole heck of a lot more expensive. Yeah, g- give yourself the advantage from the beginning rather than essentially starting behind. Right, right. So. You guys are growing, but so is the space industry. So as we 
begin to venture further out into space and have longer duration missions in space, what new tests do you see being developed? And are you already developing things as Keystone to address those? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think you're going to see more reliability testing. Uh, as you said, you're, we're seeing longer missions. So I, I think that it, I don't think it would be surprising to see the requirements to be changed that, like, for instance, instead of a, a temperature test being for X period of time, it's now double that or triple that. I, I think that the the severity of the tests on the on the environmental side probably won't change because you know the the temperature range is the temperature range the the vibration and shock of of leaving Earth and going into into space is is going to be the same but I think the the durability of of the components and of the materials over a longer period of time. I, I think we're going to see changes in standards to address that. There's something else that I that we've we've definitely seen in, in another area is a focus on EMP testing. Oh. And basically EMPs are electromagnetic pulses, which are um they're they're short bursts of energy that essentially disable electronic devices. And they've historically been more of a, a natural event like a lightning strike or a solar flare but you know, they're now being weaponized and we've been yeah. uh, doing a lot of work with testing enclosures to see if they are um, they can protect against an EMP attack we've also done testing on, on entire facilities to see if uh, the facility is the, the term that's used is hardened if it's EMP hardened to that if there would be an attack the electronics inside that that facility would be protected you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see this this testing start to be engaged more with with space products as well yeah I mean that that makes a lot of sense I, I'm curious though you know if you're testing a facility it's not as if you can pick the facility up and bring it to your lab how how does that testing work yes uh it's interesting so basically what we do is we position an an antenna on one on on the outside of the facility and we position an an antenna on the inside of the facility Uh, the outside antenna transmits and the inside antenna uh, receives and uh if the facility is uh doing what it should be doing, we should be receiving those signals on, on the, the receiving antenna. So uh, when, when, we, when we are receiving signals on that receiving antenna, then we know the, the facility has some, some issues that need to be addressed. But that's, that's essentially how you conduct testing on a, uh, on a facility to, to see if it is, in fact, providing the protection you need from an EMP attack. Wow. I'm I'm so impressed and enthralled at the same time about all the science that goes behind testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it again. It's what I think we as consumers just take for granted that uh, there's a tremendous amount of of testing that that happens, and it it's uh, 
it saves lives. A couple of years ago, we tested an, an uh, infant respirator and we were able to turn it off and on with a walkie-talkie signal. Um, oh. So, you know, back to the yeah. drawing board uh, on, on that one. But, uh, the, you know, those... Those are those are the examples that we we want to find that out in our in our test chamber, not not in the hospital. Yes, exactly. Well, that's kind of all the questions I had for you. If did I miss anything that you want to make sure you share? You know, again, appreciate the the opportunity and to speak with you. And like I said, the space program has led the way with the the writing of a, a lot of these test standards. Our commitment to the industry is is on that side, but also in working with manufacturers to find ways of developing products that are that are safe, uh, that are going to to be reliable, but also too, how do we help make them cost effective as well? Mm-hmm. Because every every little addition to a product is more weight, and that's more money, and and uh, so we're we're always trying to help with design to to keep that that product as lean as possible while, while still accomplishing all the objectives that it must accomplish. It sounds to me like you have a brilliant group that is making that possible. They do a great job. It's a, a pleasure to, to work with them. And, and it's, it, it's really the reason that we've been able to, to grow as, as rapidly and as, as successfully as we have. That's perfect. I loved hearing that. Thanks again, Sam, for joining us today and just showing us how intense going to space is. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, our website, www.spacefoundation.org, where you can also learn about the various ways to support Space Foundation. On all of these outlets and more, it's Space Foundation's mission to be a gateway to education, information, and collaboration for space exploration and space-inspired industries that drive the global space ecosystem. At Space Foundation, we will always have space for you. Thanks for listening.